It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with the Iowa Hawkeyes beat writer for The Athletic, Scott Docterman. In our conversation, we get into all things Iowa, including the unusual 25 points per game stipulation in offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz's contract. But the reason I really wanted to talk to him this week is because Iowa is almost certainly the best team that has faced the Penn State Nittany Lions so far this year, although Penn State did win that game 31 to nothing thanks to six turnovers by Iowa. And I wanted to get his perspective on what this Penn State team is actually like and what Ohio State can do to exploit some of the weaknesses that lesser teams on Penn State's schedule have not been able to do so far. Now, before we get into that conversation, if you are finding this episode on LandGrantHolyLand.com, please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can get all of the unique, varied perspectives that you will only hear from the Land Grant Podcast Network. Also, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with The Athletic's Scott Docterman. So the Iowa Hawkeyes are currently number 24 in the AP poll. They're 6-1, and and I imagine at this point, uh, who knows what happens in the future, but they'll be favored in their remaining five games on the season. But from somebody who is as close to the program as you are, what is the vibe uh, out there in Iowa for this team? Is it, are they excited about a potential Big Ten West championship, or has all of the conversation about 
points and, and all of those things with Brian Ferentz kind of been a, a downer on what would otherwise be a, a fairly positive season for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, it is kind of mixed, honestly. I think you have your your true supporters who will root for the team, win or lose, and um, they're still decidedly behind this team. But then I think not quite the critical mass, but I think probably at least half of the team, half of the fans are very skeptical and they see the flaws like everybody else does, but they're kind of embarrassed by it and it aggravates them because they know and they can recognize that this team isn't built to, to even get to Indy and have a fighting chance to win. And so that's kind of a tough spot for this fan base because I was always thrived as being a, very competitive team in the Big Ten that's capable of winning against the teams that are considered the Blue Bloods from time to time, um, but they have to have a puncher's chance to do so. And I think the majority of the fans here are probably just, they look at this defense and think, yeah, this defense is built to compete. The special team certainly is built to compete, but offensively, they're just so inept and bad, uh, depleted because of injuries that it just, you just don't think that there's a chance for them to go to Indianapolis against the top three teams and be able to slug it out and pull out some sort of miraculous win. They're just really, that's probably the difficulty that these, these fans have right now. When talking about the issues that the offense has, obviously we know that Cade McNamara is going to be out for the remainder of the season with an ACL tear. It now looks like Deacon Hill will be the starting quarterback moving forward. What can folks who maybe haven't paid as close attention to the Hawkeyes team over the past few months, what can the rest of the Big Ten expect from him when he's really getting his first opportunity to be a starter at this level? He's a big, strong-armed guy, uh, 6'4", 6'5", 260 pounds. So he's uh, really thick and, and got a big arm, but not real accurate. And and that's been the issue the last couple of weeks since he stepped in for Cade McNamara. He's 27 to 70 passing. And so those numbers are every bit as there, – there were some drops early, but – that's those the numbers are the numbers there's no way to hide from that and um, this has always been for the most part a tight end based offense and uh, now with Eric all out along with Luke Lachey um, earlier in the year they're both out for the season Uh, they are incredibly depleted when it comes to the passing game and they weren't real good at it to begin with so um, Deacon Hill is, you know, again, a big, strong arm guy that can really throw it down the field, but not with real accuracy. And, and the problem is that they don't really have a short yardage passing game to go along with it. And uh, Cade McNamara was much better at that, even though he didn't really get a chance to show it either. Um, so it, it, it it's really perplexing to see how they're going to move the ball through the air because they've kind of ignored the wide receivers this year. And now they have no choice but to throw it to them. But are they going to be ready and capable of doing anything with it? Maybe, maybe a couple of times. I, it's just this team is, is so built on the run now. And, and, and it performed well against Wisconsin and Purdue. But everybody's going to stack the box. So they're going to have to beat somebody through the air. And I don't know. Uh, you know, I would say going through the rest of the season, they are going to be favored to win most of these games. But I don't think that there's any game on the schedule that you can just point to and say, yeah, they're going to roll through this team like they, like they normally would. Uh, so that's what, um, you know, with Deacon Hill, 
he's just right now their, their whole goal with him is just don't make any mistakes. And that's not really a way to win, but I think in the West division, the way it's currently constructed and uh, by far the worst of the West divisions we've ever seen, um, it may be just enough to get to Indianapolis. With all of the conversation about how bad the offense is, I, I do think it has kind of overshadowed, at least from an outsider's perspective, who's not as close to it as you are, has kind of overshadowed how good the defense is. I, I'm not sure that it is as good as some of the Iowa defenses we've seen perhaps in the recent past, but it is still a really solid unit. Is that enough to not only propel them through the rest of this West schedule. But as you said, if they do go up against one of those blue buds from the East, is there any opportunity that the defense itself with its ability to, to create turnovers and even score off of those turnovers to have a puncher's chance uh, in Indianapolis in the first week of December? The, the only uh, blueprint that I've seen that Iowa can follow and give itself an opportunity when it gets there is probably the one upset that it had against Michigan in 2016 when Michigan was 9-0, and ranked second in the country, had an elite defense its own right. And Iowa, you know, is kind of like that, like the 35-year-old construction worker, a gray beard that's been through the wars, they're calloused up, and then they just start fighting. And if they could bring one of those Eastern three, threesome down to its level, and just frustrate them offensively, maybe force a couple of turnovers, get into a position where it's it's punt ball in Indianapolis. And in the fourth quarter, it's a close game. And and uh, the, the Eastern champ, whichever one of the three it's going to be, is going, how are we in this game? We should be blowing this team out. They can't do anything offensively. And that's where Iowa can compete and win against a, an elite team. And and so the possibility is there, but it's less so than what it's been in the last few years. Um, and if one of those teams is really playing at a high level, like we saw with Penn State this year or Michigan two years ago at, at, uh, at, at in Indianapolis against Iowa, then I don't think Iowa has much of an opportunity to win. It's just um, the defense is good this year. It's not elite level the way it was last year. You didn't really get a chance to see that in Columbus because the offense couldn't you know, I think they had six turnovers and all of them were inside their own territory. It was just a massacre. Yeah. So the defense had some good players and, and some opportunities, just didn't get a chance to show it. And I'd say that the two previous versions, 21 and 20, were much better than this one. But they do have some really good players. They play well up front. They've got some good linebackers. There's no Jack Campbell, but there never will be again. Um, and the secondary is pretty salty. So they've got – they do – um, they, you know, I think Wisconsin averaged 200 plus yards rushing going into the game last week and they ran for 96. So they haven't a chance to really, um, you know, break down an opponent that way and make them go. If you're going to go 80 yards or 75 yards on them, it's going to have to be in four to five yard doses. That's kind of how they're built. Uh, so I think they're capable of frustrating teams, but um, they don't have the the sack power that they had the last few years or, or a game-changing linebacker like they did with Campbell. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You mentioned the game in Columbus last year, and it did have quite a few similarities with the game in Happy Valley earlier this season, especially when it comes to Hawkeye turnovers, having six in both of those games. One of the the things that has made Iowa's defense so strong in recent seasons was its ability to take the ball away from opposing defenses or from opposing offenses. And obviously that was not the case against Penn State earlier this season. Ohio State is going up against Penn State this week and I know in a 31 to nothing win it's it's hard to find many flaws in Penn State but what did you see from them have they taken that next step forward from where they have been a a really good Big 10 team to being a potentially great Big 10 team and if there is any kinks in the armor what might that be for a Buckeye team that could potentially exploit it on Saturday I'll start with their strengths first from what I've seen of Penn State and, and watching them pretty much every year. They were kind of the protected rival for Iowa for all these years. And um, and so I would say defensively, they are at least as good, if not better than any version that I've seen in a decade. Um, they have it at all three levels. They have playmakers at all three levels. They've generally been pretty good up front, as we know, um, very good at linebacker. And I think this year, you know, Chop Robinson's terrific. Isaac's terrific. Um, Abdul Carter is is a freak at linebacker. Um, their front seven is very much as good or better than any of them that they've had. But I think what separates this team, this specific team, from what I've seen in the past is they've always had decent secondaries, but this one is truly elite. And I really like the way that they're built. And I think Kalen King you know, is, you know, he doesn't have an interception because everybody's smart enough not to throw it in his direction, but he's going to get tested this weekend. And I'm really like to see what happens with him and, and Marvin Harrison, because I think those are two, you know, obviously Marvin Harrison's the, the best of the incredible run that Ohio state's had a wide receiver and he's the best one. And I'd like to see him against Kalen King because he's going to be one of the, maybe one of the top two or three corners coming out in the yeah. draft. I think that they're, that's going to be the matchup that can determine how that game goes. Um, offensively, though, um, they're, they're, their O-line, I think, is better than what it's been in the past. I don't think their skill position players are better, though. Um, I like Drew Aller a lot, though. I, I think he's got a chance to be 
um, a separation type of quarterback for them that's better than what they've had. And he certainly played that way against Iowa, made all the throws everywhere on the field and against a really good defense. And, and that was something that, you know, Iowa tries to avoid. I mean, they want you to try to compete for every blade of grass, but he's able to make all those throws. And that was really something I wasn't expecting to see. I would say at wide receiver and running back, they are not as elite as they've been. Um, you know, I when, when I was going into this matchup, I'm like, well, you know, Singleton's, you know, pretty good. They've got another good running back too. And it's just, but they're not like they were with Barkley and Sanders necessarily. And at wide receiver, there's no real Jahan Dotson there or KJ Hamler. And then even at tight end, I think Theo Johnson's a good tight end, but I'm not sure that he's Pat Fryermuth or Mike Gusecki either. So, um, but what they did, and you know, even though they weren't very explosive at all, but what they did was they were very methodical, they were patient, they were tough, they ran the ball with effectiveness, they had no problem going 75 yards on a couple of drives, they did it, and um, and Aller made all the throws. So I think in some ways you look at them and go, well, they don't really have an explosive playmaker on an offense the way they used to, but I think that they're better because they've got a patient mindset. So Going against Ohio State's defense, obviously there's going to be some issues. I like the, I like uh, JT's matchup there, you know, against uh, Fashionu, and I think that's going to be a tremendous when they go head to head. If they do, I think that'll be you know one for the. We'll see a lot of uh, cut ups for that in the spring, but other than that, I mean, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if Penn State can handle some some adversity and if they're able to go methodically, you know, five yards at a time and go down the field without, um, you know, Drew Allard putting anything up because this will be his first big start on the road. He's gone, yeah. went to Champaign. He went to Evanston. Those environments don't even have a fraction, you know, compared by a fraction to what he's going to face uh, this coming weekend. With the remainder of Iowa's schedule turning back to the West being against Minnesota Northwestern and then Rutgers in the East, Illinois and Nebraska. Is this just a talking point outside of the Iowa bubble or are people inside and around the program thinking about the 25 point per game tracking and all of that stuff, knowing what the, what the average points are the rest of the way are, I'm not necessarily talking about people literally inside the program, but is this a talking point for, for fans and media members that, that are really following the program on a, on a daily basis? Yes and no. It was at the beginning. It was certainly, you know, in the beginning of the season, it was something that was mentioned on it, you know, every series practically on offense, whether it was on Twitter or whatever. But, but I think now that they've gotten to the point where again, no Kate McNamara, no Luke Lachey, no Eric all, they're not going to make it. They're not going to come close to that. I mean, they're at less than 21 points a game. And even though they're playing against teams where, you know, you would think that maybe they can poke their head up and get, you know, high thirties or something. I just don't know that that's possible with the way that's depleted as they are and, and as inept in some ways as the passing game is. Uh, so it's kind of gone away a little bit, but you know, it, it will certainly resurface um, multiple times as it gets closer to the end of the season, because if they don't reach that, then that does give the athletic department options. I mean, initially Brian Ferentz was on a um, 20, you know, the, the, his, he had a two-year rollover last year, as we know, in February, former athletic director, Gary Barta 
um, changed his contract, uh, kind of over Kirk Ferentz's head and objections, and certainly Brian's to to say that uh, you know he's docking him 50k, and they have the they ended the rollover, and they had the option to walk away from the contract altogether if they didn't average 25 points and win seven games. It seems low hanging fruit uh, for both areas. But they're not going to make it for the you know the third straight year. They're not going to hit 25 points, and you know is it fair? Yeah, it is because it's the the record. But at the same time, um, you know Brian Ferentz over his career sometimes gets unfairly maligned because you know in, in 18 and, and 20, you know they were over 31 points a game, and he had a quarterback. His first quarterback threw for 68 touchdowns in a three-year period. And, and now that they've they've slumped in that area that, you know, he's, you know, the quarterback hasn't been as, as good, as successful. And and certainly now with all the injuries, uh, they're not going to come you know, close. So it'll be it'll really interesting to see how interim athletic director Beth gets um, what she ends up doing here with this. I mean, the easiest, best solution, of course, is for Brian Ferentz to just simply go get another job and like in the NFL being a position coach. But um, short of that, you know, this is, this is going to be a defining moment for her. If she becomes the athletic director, which she should be. And, uh, and it'll be a defining moment to what Kirk Ferentz's next move will be, which we really don't know. Has this whole aspect of the last few seasons, has this soured the fan base on Kirk Ferentz in general, fair or not? The fact that it is his son and, and there has been such an allegiance to him over the last few years, has this changed the way that the fans in general look at a coach who, for all intents and purposes, should be revered and at the top of the Mount Rushmore in terms of uh, Iowa coaching uh, history along with Hayden Fry? Yeah, it, it's really an interesting look because I would say that, yes, that fans are they're mixed because the success is there. When you look at the statistics, right. you look at the the wins and losses, they're third in the big 10 over the last five years in wins and losses. Uh, they're, you know, they've been bowl eligible 22 out of the last 23 years and they won 10 plus games multiple times and, and been in the championship game and everything. But the, the, you know, it boils down to football's entertainment. People want to see points. They want to see yards. They yeah. want to see touchdowns. And Iowa is simply winning, which is the bottom line. But how you do it, it's, it's kind of like with basketball. Nobody wants to watch 48-44. <laughs> and, and some bad Bo Ryan teams kind of fit that. They always won, but it was never pretty. And I think in this case, it's it's kind of the same boat where 15-6 going to Wisconsin and winning uh, is a big deal for this program because Wisconsin and Iowa are rivals. And they see themselves as kind of, you know, rivals and, and how they play. But it's also it's an eyesore. And so I think a lot of fans have taken the approach of, is there any way that something different can happen? And if that means that Kirk goes, even though he's third all time and wins in Big Ten history, um, I think a lot of fans would be willing to, to let that happen. And and I'd be very careful if I'm Iowa fans about that, even though, yeah, you need something different on offense. You just can't do this anymore. But you're also losing a coach who's again, you know, been there 25 years, the Dean of head coaches, uh, one of the most successful in big 10 history and, and has shown that you can compete at a, at a pretty good and at, at times high level at, at Iowa and the big 10, because 
there's with the new Big Ten teams coming in, it wouldn't take much for, you know, we've seen coaches at Michigan, Texas, Alabama, Nebraska, who have greater pedigrees than Iowa fall apart for the better part of a decade, um, you know, when forcing out coaches. So Iowa certainly could fall and fall fast if they have hired the wrong one. I'll wrap it up and, and let you go here, Scott, on this. And uh, if this is something you want to stay away from, I totally understand. But you've seen Penn State up close. I'm assuming you've at least kept up with everything Ohio State has done this season. Do you have any thoughts on Saturday's game? If you want to, I'm not going to ask you to make a score prediction, but if you would like to, please feel free to do that. But um, based on what you have seen from both teams so far this year, what do you think is going to happen? What do you, what do you think the major storylines coming out of that game are going to be? Yeah, this is uh, this is this is dangerous territory because I yeah. think it, I can see so many scenarios. I'm sure just like you, you know, you look at this game and you can analyze yeah. it. It's like a NCAA tournament five twelve. I can argue both sides of it pretty good, but I think really to me the key of this game is going to be Aller's composure. I think the opportunities will be there for a Penn State win on the road, but again, there's nothing like playing what we call the Death Star in Ohio Stadium. I mean, you know, you go there and it's an intimidating environment immediately. I mean, he's never experienced that before under his center in this type of environment. And will he be able to, at third and seven, be able to complete that ball for a first down? Or will he get a little nervous, a little, you know, the environment intimidating him? And I think that's going to be the real key because if he can be composed, I do think Penn State has a as a chance to win and may win, but I don't know that that's the case. I think that Ohio State has still has more talent certainly in the now. You know, I, I'm not sure about the. You know, will Iboka um, be back or um, or will the running backs be healthy? Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, nobody knows. Okay, <laughs> so you know, I, I think. You know, Marvin Harrison is the best. He's the best receiver yeah. in the game. He's the best receiver I've ever seen. Maybe since Calvin Johnson, you know, at that level. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to still stick with Ohio State at home. But I, I think if if Al, Drew Aller can handle the environment, I I would probably lean towards Penn State. I think that's very fair. And I'm I'm 100 with you. I think that this game is one of those one because I. I other than Ohio State playing Notre Dame, I'm not sure that either team has had an opportunity to really show what they're capable of against a a team of equal talent. And and I think that is especially true for Penn State, who hasn't had a game like Ohio State's in uh, in South Bend earlier this season. So I think it could go any way, any which way, and uh, it'll be very, very exciting and, from my perspective, very nerve-wracking and stressful come Saturday afternoon. But, uh, Scott, thank you so much for for talking all things Iowa and Big Ten. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy your work at The Athletic, and uh, I hope you enjoy and, and have a smooth rest of the season. And who knows, maybe Ohio State and Iowa will end up in Indiana or in Indianapolis together, and we can chat again in December. Sounds good. We'll go to St. Elmo's and hopefully expense it on your account. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Deal. Sounds good.